0: WITH WHAT MAY SURPRISE YOU ABOUT GOD'S WILL FOR YOUR LIFE, HERE'S PASTOR ED
1: Ray. GOD'S WILL FOR MY LIFE, GOD'S WILL FOR YOUR LIFE ISN'T ALWAYS SAFE. YOU SEE, GOD WANTS US TO MOVE OUT OF THE SAFE AREAS OF OUR LIFE. IT'S LIKE A SHIP. SHIPS ARE NOT CREATED TO STAY IN THE HARBOR WHERE THEY'RE SAFE. THEY'RE CREATED TO GO OUT ON THE HIGH SEAS. THAT'S WHAT GOD WANTS TO DO WITH YOUR LIFE. He wants you to change the world.
0: build with hands and in this place got to dwell with man sick beel and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and heart. Moving out onto the high seas can be exciting for some, but terrifying for others. But as it's been said, smooth sailing has never made a great sailor. Well, to change metaphors to experience the mountaintop, you must brave the climb. Whether you're excited about being used by God to change the world or terrified, we'll be reminded on today's Grow in Grace that God will give the ability to do what each of you are called to do. That reminder is found in 2 Thessalonians
1: chapter one. Here's Pastor Ed. There's a gap between when God says he's going to do something in your life and then it happens. That is the nurturing ground, the environment for faith to grow in your life and in mine. I don't like that gap. My flesh doesn't like it, but it's that very pause that requires patience in my life that causes my faith to be strengthened because faith is like a muscle. You have to use it to make it grow, to make it strong. You remember the story that Abraham was told by God late in his life, 75, that he's gonna have a son. And he said, wow, that's amazing, God. That's wonderful. But then nothing happened for years. And finally, his wife, Sarah, who was excited about having a son too, but, you know, kind of lost interest, said, I'm an old lady now. God wants us to have a son. You must have misunderstood. Why don't you make a son with my handmaid Hagar? And Abraham said, okay, sounds good to me. And he had a son named Ishmael. And then 13 years after God came to him again, and said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And Abraham argued with God, not that any of us of course would do that, but he said, well, as the Lord lives, may you bless Ishmael. You know, you were taking an awful long time, God, so I took care of your problem. And I created a son, so would you please bless Ishmael? You ever prayed for God to bless one of your messes? Oh Lord, I couldn't wait for you. I knew you were busy doing, you know, there's 7 billion people on the earth, you got other things to do, and so I'll just take care of it for you. Would you bless it now? (laughs) No? (laughs) Oh. And so now we have the Arab Jewish problem that has gone on for 4,000 years because of his little help to God. So don't help God, that's the whole point of this thing, but the idea of faith that God doesn't forget in the gap that patience is supposed to grow. He had a son. Called his name Laughter, Isaac. Why? Imagine those two old people sitting around the tent after they had the baby. (laughs) This is amazing. A hundred years old and I got a son. So if you're sitting here saying, I'm too old, you know, God's moving on. Listen, Moses didn't even start till he was 80. God kept him off the bench till he was 120. So... God's willing to use us if we're willing to go at any time. So, God is blessing in the interval between when he says it's going to happen and when it actually happens by giving us patience. Verse 5, which is manifest evidence, obvious evidence of the righteous judgment of the justice of God, that you may be counted worthy, that you may be made worthy, literally, it's a bad translation, New King James, that you may be made worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Living Bible, but God will use this persecution to show you his justice, for he will make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. Suffering. We don't like that in America. We don't do suffering. You know, we do, bless me, God. But the rest of the world pretty much understands this. Go to some of the places I've gone to, Nepal recently. You go to Burma. You go to Africa. You go to places where it's really difficult to live just because there's no water supply that's reliable and food supply and electricity is an iffy deal on and off. But there's persecution. In Nigeria, we have a sister church in Abuja the capital, but it's in the area that the Islamic terrorists are constantly taking people and killing them. So suffering is a normal part of the Christian walk. Not in this church in the sense of we don't have to worry about anybody busting through the door, but the police coming and raiding it, but certainly in our lives, you suffer suffering isn't to be thought of as evidence that God had forsaken them that's Paul's point to the Thessalonians or to us but evidence he is with them in fact perfecting them (laughs) so Satan wants to whisper in our ear when bad things happen well it's because you've been bad because you've sinned God's punishing you No, no, God doesn't punish us here. If he punished us here, we'd all be smoking holes in the ground. Right up here, there'd just be a burnt over area. But he, when we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive our sins. So... God's justice is coming, and he begins to write about it in some difficult verses. Verse 6, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. In his justice, God will punish those who persecute you. That's what he's saying to these Thessalonians. In matters of spiritual persecution, vindication and retribution are to be exercised by God, not man. That's Paul's point. He said it in Romans 2, Romans 12, 19. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God will take care of it. He will settle accounts. He's coming someday, soon, I hope today. And he'll be revealed from heaven. We're about ready to read. Verse 7. And to give you who are troubled rest with us. Verse 7. Rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Rest for persecuted people is what he's talking about when Jesus returns. The consequences for these persecutors, this Paul's point, will be painful and prolonged, we're about to see. When the great apocalypse of Jesus comes, that's what it says literally in the Greek language. It's the same name for the last book of the Bible, Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus. Because he came as a humble servant the first time, the back of a donkey an itinerant preacher from Nazareth, from the Galilee region, the wrong part of town, so to speak, of the country. But when he comes the next time, he comes in power and authority as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And and everyone will see, this is when Jesus touches down on the Mount of Olives and it splits in two and he rules and reigns on planet earth for a thousand years, the millennial reign of Christ. So... He's coming, verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Fire is a symbol of judgment in Scripture, and it means literally to give full punishment to those who do not know God. And those who did not obey some theologians see these as two separate groups i don't think so i think it's the same but it really doesn't matter who they are but because they did not receive god's free gift of grace don't get hung up on the well, wait a minute there's judgment coming get hung up on the we have time right now now is the time today is the day of salvation romans 10 16 they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed or report? Isaiah said, well, I'm talking about it, but nobody seems to be responding, Romans 10, 9, that if you would just confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, aren't there some other things you've got to add to that, Pastor? I didn't write this. <laughs> this is the Holy Spirit that if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, and that God is raising from the dead, you will be saved. Remember that definition of faith? Believing that God will do what he says he will do. This is what he says he'll do. For with the heart, one believes into righteousness. You don't have any righteousness, but by believing Jesus, you get his. And the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him Will not be put to shame. Believes on Jesus? Well, I believe he came. No, no, do you believe he died in your place on the cross? That he took the punishment that you deserve, that I deserve, on his body so that we wouldn't have to be punished. It isn't that grace is cheap, it was outrageously expensive. Jesus came, humbled himself, and allowed his own creation to pin him to a wooden tree. But in bleeding out, his blood washes away my sin. And yours. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Now, if you ignore that, verse 9, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction. That doesn't sound good. It is not good. This is hell. Yes, we use the H word here. Shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Judgment will come, is what he's saying. (laughs) John Wesley said, tremble, you stout-hearted men who don't think you need God, when he read this verse. Now, destruction, olethros in the Greek language means a state of conscious ruin. This is not annihilation, not boom, they're gone. This is tough stuff. Everlasting is aeonios in the Greek language. It's used 71 times in the New Testament, and it's always translated eternal. It's connected often with Zoe, with life, eternal life. amigos Zoe, means eternal life. So obviously this means eternal destruction. Now I, I painfully make that point because there's a popular book called Love Wins written by Rob Bell. And in the opening chapter, he says, well, there's no scriptures in the Bible that speak of everlasting punishment. Well, obviously he didn't read verse 9. Because it just jumps right out at you. Jesus spoke very plainly about hell. Painfully, but plainly. You're listening to
0: Pastor Ed Ray on Grow in Grace, who's expounding on what the Bible and Jesus says about hell. Now, with more about this painful subject, with God's heart on the matter, and how to avoid going there,
1: here's Pastor Ed. Matthew 25, 41, then God will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, same word, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, I actually like that verse because it explains the heart of God, that hell was not created for people. It was created, according to Jesus, for the devil, for Satan and his angels. So, God doesn't want you to go there. You got a verse for that? Yeah. 2 Peter 3, 9. God is not wanting that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants people to simply come and say, Lord, I blew it. Forgive me. Take my sins on the cross. It's that simple. So, it is the destiny of men who reject God. But today, right now, this morning, God is reaching out his hand of love. If you're sitting here this morning and having rejected God, don't leave this morning until you say, okay, I surrender, Lord. I'll trust you. Show me yourself in a way I can't deny it. And he'll come rushing in. Verse 10, when he comes in that day, the day that he steps down on planet earth, and this is not the rapture, this is the day of the Lord that describes him touching down on the Mount of Olives to be glorified, to be displayed in his saints, And to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you must believe. This is an interesting verse. The word admired in the Greek language is literally breathtakingly wondered at. The the Greek word thalamazo means to, in admiration, be stunned. You see, when we see Jesus, we're going to sit down and we're going to stare and we're going to say, that's astounding. He is astounding. He is like the ultimate supreme superhero of superheroes. He is spectacular. Now, I'd struggled for an illustration of that, and I had to go back to a children's book. It's not really a children's book, but people think it is. C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Now, those of you that read it, I love to read it to my grandchildren because I got more out of it than they did. But little Lucy, one of the characters, is about ready to meet Aslan the lion. That's a picture of Jesus. So she's speaking to another character, Mr. Beaver. Yes, Beaver's talk in this book. And so she's asking him all about Aslan. And finally she says, is he mm, safe? Beaver says back, of course. He isn't safe, but he's good, he's the king. Now, that's what Paul is talking about here. God's will for my life, God's will for your life, isn't always safe. You see, God wants us to move out of the safe areas of our life. It's like a ship. Ships are not created to stay in the harbor where they're safe. They're created to go out on the high seas. That's what God wants to do with your life. He wants you to change the world. Oh, pastor, somebody else. (laughs) I'm sorry, Pony Express writer. God says, go. No jacket, just go. Hurry, hurry. Sometimes we have to stretch ourselves beyond what we think we're capable of. Remember, grace is this gift of God that makes us what we cannot be without it and has us do things that we cannot do without it. That's grace. Sometimes he gives us a dream. In fact, I would say often he gives us a dream that's way beyond our comfort zone and puts us in harm's way. What? God would put me in harm's way? You bet. But he'll get you through it because when you see him get you through it, you go, that was close. Thank you, Jesus. God is calling you out of the harbor that you're in, Saint. (laughs) God is saying, come follow me. It's gonna cost you a little, but it will gain you much more. You're gonna grow in faith. God isn't always safe, but he is good and he is the king. I mean, he has the power to get you through it. It's not a big risk. When he controls everything and he loves you, he'll make sure you get through. Last section, therefore we also pray always for you, that our God would count, and there's that word again, it should be make, make you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of his faith and power. Just so you know, I'm I'm not making this up. Here's uh, Kenneth Taylor's version. And so we keep on praying for you that our God will make you worthy of the life for which he called you. See, it's important, it's an important distinction because I tried to make myself worthy for those first five or six years that I was a believer. And I was fasting, I'm praying, I'm getting up early, I'm keeping a prayer journal. I'm not saying those are bad things, but I was trying to make myself worthy. How'd that work? Didn't. In fact, all it did is showed me what a wretched sinner that I was, more and more and more. Then I stumbled on these verses. Actually, I stumbled on the word grace and then it led me to these verses. Whatever God wanted for the Thessalonians, he knew it could be only obtained through prayer. That's why he's praying for them. But God would make them worthy. God will make you worthy because you cannot make yourself worthy. And as long as you're still trying to make yourself worthy, you're not receiving the grace of God. You see, grace is a gift, right? We talked about that. And if you keep trying to earn it, you make it a wage, and it doesn't work. We can never merit a right. We can never earn a right standing before God. Let me drive the last nail in the coffin. Titus 3, five. It is not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us, not by works of righteousness. But according to his mercy, he has saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of his spirit. That's God's purpose for us, for you, for my life. Last verse, cool verse. Love this verse. Own this verse. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified, displayed in you, and you in him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. According to the grace, not according to your works, not according to how good you are. did you read enough of the Bible today? Did you pray long enough? Did you witness to enough people? You 're here at church? I mean that 's got to be worth a couple of points. <laughs> it 's worth nothing, nada, except that you hear, and faith comes if you haven 't yet received the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the grace of God, Titus 2:11 for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. All men? Yeah. Peter, 1 Peter 5.10, the God of all grace. I love this verse. All they, all grace. That means that God has an inexhaustible supply of grace for you and for me. That's adequate for every single occasion that you'll come up against. Whatever you're against right now, God's got grace for it. You just have to call out to him, God, I need grace. Don't ask once. Don't ask for just grace, as I've said before. Ask for grace, grace, grace. Say it at least two or three times. Lord, I need grace, grace, grace. Say it with me, Lord, I need grace, grace, grace. I think you all said that. I think you understand that. That's true, it's the truth. We all need grace. Verse six of Romans 11. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. It wouldn't be a gift any longer if we deserved it. Now, Paul loved the word grace so much, so I hope you're not getting tired of me pausing on it. But I keep stopping there, and he did it 120 times. The Apostle Paul is into grace. John only did it six times, only used the word six times, but here's a pretty powerful use in the Gospel of John by John the Apostle, John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory displayed. Glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That's the description of Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace. Gifts upon gifts upon gifts. 2 Timothy 2.1, you therefore be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, grace is tied to the subject we're looking at faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, Ephesians 2.8 says. You see, it's a gift, but you must believe it. You must trust that God died for you. It is by grace. It's a gift that you would receive faith. Tozer says it this way. This really affected my life before I was a Christian. Every man lives by faith. The non-believer as well as the believer. The one by faith in natural law and the other by faith in God. You see, I was a scientist and I had faith. This guy said, you have faith. I said, no, I don't have any faith. I'm at least an agnostic, but really I'm an atheist. I don't believe there's a God at all. I said, no, no, you have belief in natural law. You see, you think that all there is are what your five senses can, in fact, perceive. That physics and chemistry and biology are all measurable, so you have faith in tangible things. You don't know anything about the spiritual world. You can't insult me like that, I don't. But I did have faith in something, so a believer moves from faith in what he can see and touch and hear and taste and smell to faith in God. It's a scary step. No, it's not. Just step out and try it. God, I believe. I choose to believe that you're real. Show me yourself in a way I can't deny it. Some things have to be believed to be seen. Feed your faith. Your doubts will starve to death. Just grow in them.
0: Amen. Amen. Faith in Jesus, that's faith that's well-placed. Now, if you've yet to believe in Jesus, we at Grow in Grace, along with Pastor Ed Ray, would invite you to believe now. As Pastor Ed put it, feed your faith and your doubts will starve to death. We're making our way through 2 Thessalonians right now. If you missed part of today's message or would just like to hear it again, go online to thepackinghouse.org. Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. We're also on YouTube at Packing House Christian Fellowship. Your support for Grow in Grace is not only needed, but greatly appreciated. And those that do this month will send you Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds. Maybe prayer to you is just something you do without much thought before a meal or just another thing to cross off your to-do list. There's great power through prayer and this book will help elevate your thinking about it to see how it truly makes a difference. This guidebook provides believers with information about the most effective way to use prayer to better understand God's Word, fully appreciate divine power, and more deeply commune with the Lord. Again, it's our way of saying thanks for your gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can reach us at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. This program is brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship. Zion, I build with hands, and in this place dwell with man. Sick be Ill and the crippled stand high. son, selfless sacrifice
1: for everyone, faith, hope, love, and harmony, I said let this world know
0: me by your love.